I'm also uh, anxious about it. This is not the normal milieu that I'm used to. Uh, I, as many of you may know, am a trial lawyer. I do speak to audiences, but they don't get to speak back to me. <laughs> they don't usually get to ask me questions, so uh, I am usually more in control of what I say, and it's sort of a one-way street. So um, I am humbled uh, and honored, um, and I'm hoping, uh, and the thing that I'm most anxious about in all sincerity is that I can bring something to this that you may not have gotten from just reading the chapter yourselves. And I hope you all read it, but uh, even if you didn't, you'll read it at some point. Um, and, and, and I come before you today certainly not with any professing of any expertise or any uh, depth of knowledge beyond what each of you have. I consider myself only a fellow seeker like you are. And, uh, and I really believe that, and I don't profess anything above and beyond that. So please uh, don't take from anything that I say today that I'm telling you something because I think I have a greater knowledge about any of this than you do. But I am hopeful that something I say today uh, may bring a, a new insight to you that you may not have gotten on your own. And I'm also hopeful that our interactions today will bring new insights to me as well. The first thing I, I noticed, and I've, I, as, as many of you may know, I've been in and out of the choir. You know, they kick me out from time to time. So when I'm not in the choir, I tend to come to this class fairly regularly, but I never realized it until I stood up here that we're surrounded by pastries up here. If there's pastries on that side of the wall, there's pastries on that side of the wall. I grew up in the Lutheran church, and if anybody put a barricade between people and food, there would be a riot, and uh, it would look like the Republican convention or something. Now, I told, I told everyone I wasn't going to get politics into this. All right, um, so here we are. Um, just, just quick review um, before we start. This is chapter nine, as Edith mentioned. We've been through the first five chapters, um, and there is, I hope you've recognized, some coherent themes which run through the book and make the chapters relate to one another. I think you will find some of that coherence in the discussion that we're going to have today, and I think most particularly uh, relating back to chapter four, the presentation that Eric made two weeks ago about receiving the kingdom. And the, the, the points that, that I took away from that discussion were this notion, this notion of opening our hands and turning, repenting, metanoia, changing our minds, changing the way we think. And I think that's all fundamental to what we're going to be talking about today as far as practicing the presence of God. And I really think that practicing the presence of God is about that turning, that changing of the way we think, that transformation of how we interact with the world and how we re react to the world and how we receive the world. So um, these, are the, these are the chapters that we've done up to now. And I apologize, we're, we're not in PowerPoint here for some reason, so some of these slides may be a little bit cut off. The practice of the presence of God <clears throat> 
it, it, it may sound like sort of a, a strange concept. How do you practice the presence of God? This actually comes from uh, a book, and I, I purchased the book. I forgot to bring it this morning. It's a tiny little book by Brother Lawrence, who was a uh, Carmelite monk in the 17th century in Paris. He was probably illiterate or semi-literate at best. Uh, he worked in a, in a monastery uh, and worked at very menial tasks because he was not an educated man. He was not, you know, rewriting manuscripts or doing anything scholarly. He was peeling onions in the kitchen and things like that. But he, had, he wrote this little book. He didn't write it. He dictated it, and somebody else wrote it because he couldn't write. But there are a series of interviews. It's just a, it's just a tiny little book. Um, and frankly, to be, all, to be completely honest with you, I didn't find it all that helpful because it's, it's fairly, uh, it's written in, in sort of an, in, you know, an obtuse way and sort of an antiquated syntax and so forth. But the general takeaway from that book was that God is everywhere. God is uh, able to be experienced everywhere and in every way and that there is no distinction between the secular and the sacred. And if you're peeling onions or cleaning the house or mowing your yard or whatever you're doing, there is a way, if you are open to it, to experience God in those activities. Um, I just picked one little quote from the book from Brother Lawrence. There is not in the world a life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. So that's where the notion of practice comes in. And practice, of course, is not an unfamiliar word. Practice is a, is a very common word, of course. The Greek root of the word is praxis, which is defined as the process by which a theory, lesson, or skill is enacted, embodied, or realized. We all have heard of the practice of various professions. You can practice sports, music, golf, whatever. It implies a process of gradual steps towards deeper knowledge, understanding, and mastery. And, and in, in my view, practice does not uh, presuppose or suggest that this is going to be hap- something that happens suddenly, serendipitously, sort of an aha moment. Although, that those moments can happen, but we shouldn't expect those moments. And instead, the notion of practice is just getting into a rhythm of experiencing th- things over and over and over again until you get yourself to a point where maybe you do have a different consciousness, a different level of receptivity about some things. Um, one of the, the fundamental documents that I think everybody should if you get a chance, go back and review, is responding to the call of Christ, which was the starting point of our future story. There's, there's really a very nice introduction uh, on page five uh, under the heading Path to Transformation, the Rhythm of Our Life Together. Spiritual formation, transformation, is the process of embracing our identity in Jesus and increasingly demonstrating the love Jesus has shown to others. Many of us are already actively living a life open to the presence of God. 
Some of us are just beginning to open ourselves to God's work in our lives. In either case, this document addresses the longing for more of a good thing. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good, and deep calls to deep. When Jesus prays, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The question arises, how do we position ourselves and others to experience the relationship to which Jesus calls us? Some of the ways in which we can intentionally make ourselves available to God's work in our lives is through what we have historically been called the spiritual disciplines. And it's not my intention today to uh, delve into the spiritual disciplines, but this document um, then goes on to describe a number of those disciplines. We've touched on some of them, and I will touch on some of them today. But what, what this outlines is some techniques and some exercises and some disciplines, frankly. It's no different than disciplines uh, around physical exercise or anything else that require continuous effort and some level of focus and commitment if you expect to get benefit from it. But um, this is the path, this is the process uh, by which uh, we hope to place ourselves in a receptive posture um, so that we can experience the presence of God more fully. Um, as I was going through and preparing for this, um, I was trying to, and you know there are some exercises in the, in the book, um, I was trying to decide how we would do this and, you know, so that I just didn't stand up here and lecture the whole time. And frankly, I, 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 I found it difficult to come up with a lot of, of group exercises. So what I decided is I will lecture for 50 minutes and then we'll have a test at the end. <laughs> And uh, we'll publish the results ranked in order in next month's tidings, if that's okay. Uh, but I, th I do want to do one quick exercise, and I, I, I've changed my mind about the time here. This is going to be like lightning jeopardy or something, okay? So it's going to require co cooperation, and some of these small tables maybe you might want to combine for this process. And I'm going to call on Judge Milligan here at the end, since he's a noted jurist, and, and we're going to have Judge Milligan be our judge at the end. And I'm not going to call on everybody, but everybody has to be ready. So what I'd like you to do as a group is, you know, if you were talking to a, a, an alien or an atheist or somebody like that about why you believe God exists, I'd like you to put together just a quick proof you know, I don't want 20 points, I want two or three or four points of proofs of God's existence. And what I, what I want to exclude from this is, well, he exists because we believe he exists. The faith piece has to stay out of it. So this is more of a, you know, a scientific proof for God's existence. So go. <laughs> and, and really, we're only gonna take a couple of minutes here. And then, and then I'm going to pick on somebody from each table, or so be prepared.
about two more minutes. One more minute. Dun 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 Okay. All right. Okay, it's time now to test your logic. All right, I'm just going to randomly, we're not going to do every table here, but first of all, does anybody, would anybody like to volunteer their proofs? Okay, Carl. And, and, and we're going to try to keep this short, boom, to the point. And, and Judge Milligan, just so you know, your role is to listen carefully, and I want you to decide, you know, if anybody meets their burden of proof of establishing the existence of God, and who has the most compelling argument for that, okay? I, I threw just a couple out there. For instance, we have simple things that we take for granted, like the water department. Uh, I mean, somebody had to say somewhere that society as a whole needs clean, fresh water, and somebody had to be in a loving nature to think of that for, you know, to, to make that available for everybody. I think God's behind that. Drive past Altman Hospital and think of all the miracles that happen there every day. I mean, those are, you know, scientific miracles that are an everyday thing. So, so the goodness of, of life around us, around us is points to the presence of God, essentially. We have another, another volunteer. volunteer. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't my idea, but I'll, she's too shy to. She said the existence of Israel. The fact that it exists today, the fact all of the promises that were made and that came true and things that were uh, prophesied hundreds of years before it happened. Okay. So the fact that it's biblically prophesied and exists today would be some proof. All right. Got our, Nancy? Go ahead. Oh. Our, t- our table came up with two. One was just today, the whole concept of birth, mothers, and and some someone had to create the the whole birth process and also there's this theory in math called the fibonacci theory it's a pattern is that right a pattern that's repeated like in the in the keyboard that man made but it's also in the sunflower right that's it's not there's powerful. not just complete randomness there's yeah. there's inherent design we you're have all, two at one table here. Yeah, this is okay. amazing. You're all going to laugh at this, but I, I'm being dead serious now, please. <laughs> I, I am. I'm being serious. I want you to take a good look at me, and I want you to take a good look at Betsy. Uh, nearly or over 60 years ago, for whatever reason, I can only think of it as God's intervention. 
that she said yes. <laughs> Seriously, and I, I may have joked about this 20 years ago, but I don't joke about that anymore. It is truly a, a God incidence that that happened okay. in my life. I can think of a few things to add. Jim, yeah, Jim's got big points for Mother's Day. Okay, let's, well, one and along, more, unless we have other volunteers. Okay, go ahead. Along the lines of what Nancy said, I believe the complexity of the human body just is such a testimony to the existence of God. How would the function of the hemoglobin as it sits around in a red blood cell, how would the nerves and the bones and the tendons be intertwined in this incredibly intentional way that I can sense the difference between vibratory sense and cold and hot? How can, um, I'm sure Jerry can attest to this too, with all the functions of the GI tract, the hormonal system. I mean, once you really study the human body, there's no doubt that there's a God. This violates my rule of not letting Jerry Anyone Smith have else? the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, Jerry. I'm, I'm absolutely just kidding. But give him the mic, Dave. I was a Christian when I was a little older. But the, the, the thing that really keyed it on me was medical school and how in, intricate the cell is and the chemistry involved there. And there's no way that evolved from some slime ball someplace. Well, and, and just to play devil's advocate a little bit, I mean, the counter argument to that, of course, is that this is a, an infinite universe. And in infinite time and infinite chance, you know, it's like the argument about, you know, a monkey could type all the works of Shakespeare if given enough time. So th th that's the counter argument, I think. But I'm not suggesting that at so let's, let's, let's move on. And go ahead. Go ahead. One more. I can't believe we're getting the, this kind of response. <laughs> the, the trouble with that thought is in order for the cell to function, it has to have all of its parts. It can't evolve, in other words. It has to have all those separate parts that right. God put there. That's the, the, the concept of infinity when it comes to anything is, is just you can't even conceive of it. So anyway. All right, Judge Milligan, we've heard the arguments of counsel. <laughs> um, it's now time to decide. Do you want me to go get my robe? We want a drum roll. Uh, this court, having heard all of the evidence presented by the prosecutor, <laughs> even including his offer of a defense, finds beyond any reasonable doubt that each and all of the evidence presented is true, believable, beyond any reasonable doubt, and the parties are instructed to go forth <laughs> from here in the sure knowledge that God is and God loves them. All right. Thank you, Judge. I... I I absolutely respect the court's judgment, but it really kind of messes with my next section. <laughs> with all due respect. Yeah, this is. Oh, this is. 
something happened here. Well, a, a, as we're waiting for the techni- technical, <laughs> as we're waiting for divine intervention here, um, I would submit to you that yeah, in this room, uh, because of who we are, I think you know, it goes without saying that we we have a belief in and a trust in the presence of God. There you go. Yep, yep. Um, and, and so why is this, thank you, why is this notion of practicing the presence of God even an issue for us? And what I would submit is culturally at least and theologically uh, in the modern era which we live in, um, I think a lot of things have moved away from the notion that God is present and omnipresent um, so these are some of them, and this is by no means an, an exhaustive list. But, and I think this is really more of a characteristic of Western theology as opposed to the Eastern Church, the Eastern Orthodox tradition, the Byzantine tr- tradition, and to a lesser extent, I think even the Roman Catholic tradition has, I think, more of a respect for an acknowledgement of these mystical characteristics that might make people more open to the concept of a divine presence. I think the Western church, particularly Western Protestantism, and even maybe more particularly Protestantism in the Reformed tradition, Lutherans and Presbyterians like ourselves, have sort of maybe not acknowledged that aspect as as strongly. Martin Luther uh, developed a concept of deus absconditus, which is, where is God? God is gone. God is hidden. Uh, And I won't get into Lutheran theology in any depth because it's way beyond me, but basically Luther said that, you know, God is hard to find sometimes and reveals himself in general and special revelation, particularly reveals himself on the cross. But the notion that God is all, always with us was not really central to, to Luther's theology in a lot of ways. Um, the, you've, you may have all heard or learned in your religion classes about the, the divine watchmaker kind of notion of God, where God started this process back at the Big, big Bang or whenever it was and sort of wound it up and let natural processes run their course, um, obviously uh, a very significant and sophisticated uh, divine intelligence and divine design, but that he sort of then stepped away and steps away and stays away and lets, lets processes work themselves out. John Calvin, in our own Presbyterian tradition, uh, said his essence is incomprehensible so that his divinity wholly escapes all human senses. And again, I'm not a theologian by any stretch, but Calvin's, some of Calvin's theories about predestination and sort of, it it just has this feeling of this, this world and this universe and this life that is sort of mechanical and put in place and that we don't have a whole lot of 
opportunity for encountering God in that. Then, of course, we have you know, the more radical uh, Frederick Nietzsche, God is dead. Um, most of us in this room, as I look around, are old enough to remember the 1966 Time magazine cover with that heading, God is dead. It's, it's a more nuanced position than what it sounds like, but it, it is part of this notion that God is distant and unapproachable and perhaps not even there. Um, and then more recently, uh, I think there's been a real strong rise in, in the new atheist movement. And it's new, it's not, there's always been atheists, obviously, but there have been atheists that have uh, published best-selling books or on talk shows, you see them everywhere. Chris, Christopher Hitchens, who recently passed away, Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, the notion that God is not good, one of the titles of those books. God is not great, I'm sorry. Um, so this, in, this, I think, influences all of us in terms of what our picture of God is, and this is where we started this whole process. What is our image of God? What is our picture of God? And I think unless you've been you know, living in a bunker the last 50 years, it would be difficult not to be influenced by, um, by these cultural no notions that God is distant. distant. God is... Uh, per perhaps not intimately involved in our day-to-day -day activities. So that is why I think we need to think about and mindfully consider the practice of the presence of God because it's something that perhaps we don't, uh, we don't come to naturally and it, and it is countercultural. Um, Dave, I, I don't know why this... Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, the, what, I'm, what I'm doing here is uh, just building on what we've been talking about with evidence for God. And, and I'm not, I don't think we're here to, to really do a proof for the existence of God. We don't need that proof. And frankly, uh, much smarter people than I have spent a whole lot of time and written a whole lot of pages about whether or not you can empirically prove the existence of God. And I, I think... Um, I, don't, I don't believe anybody's come up with a completely rigorous and, and you know, logically satisfactory explanation or empirical proof for God's existence. Faith comes into that, and faith is what, what we're here about. Um, Mike, if I'm, if I'm misstating any of this, you know, please stop me. But, but again, I think what this is, what we're leading to here is the non-dual nature of God. God is not either or. God is not black or white. It's both and. God is both and. Um, he is both transcendent, beyond, beyond our comprehension, beyond our ability to really experience because of his transcendent nature and imminent. And that is not a misspelling of the word imminent. That is immanent, meaning he is here. He is present. Um, Mark says the kingdom of God is at hand. Trevor Hudson has a nice quote. We don't need to wait for the kingdom until we are dead. Our lives can be touched today by its power of resurrection. Like the earliest disciples, we can experience its gradual transformation of our everyday lives. But first we must receive it. The good news is that through the crucified and risen Jesus' presence throughout the world, 
the kingdom is available as a sheer gift. That's the end of that quote. So, um, again, the, the, this, this implies a, uh, a transformation, I think, a really different way of looking at things. And this echoes, again, what was, uh, what was talked about two weeks ago with metanoia, uh, ch- changing the way we think, changing the way we process information, changing the way we interact with our surroundings, I think. And I think it's total. It needs to be total in order to fully experience and make ourselves fully open to that presence. Um, and I really liked... Hudson's notion of repentance. I mean, I grew up again in the Lutheran self-flagellating tradition that you know, repentance is because we're fallen and horrible human beings and you know, we have no right to, you know, and I know I'm doing violence to all kinds of uh, doctrines here, but, but when I heard repentance described as uh, a, a new way of thinking, and I think Eric alluded to the apple think different um, uh, trademark, uh, that, that really opened my eyes. And, and when you look at the word repent, it comes from the root word that means think, pense, think, repent, think again, think differently. And that's what we're talking about here. And that's what we're, I think, is at the root of all of this is a changing of our minds, a transformation of our minds. And the Bible talks about putting on the clothing or putting on the mind of Christ. What a concept. <laughs> um, but I think really that's the goal. Um, I don't want to dwell too much on, obviously, this is, this is a, just another quote from Hudson, very similar to the one that, that I just read. It talks about the availability of God's kingdom now. We don't wait until the next world for uh, encountering the kingdom of God. It's available to us now if we make ourselves open and available to it. <clears throat> and I just kind of liked his, you know, we, we can't fully experience it in this life, but we can start to experience it and it will become fully known beyond the space-time dimensions of our present world. I kind of liked it had a Star Trek kind of a sound. <laughs> So, and this goes back to what I said about Brother Lawrence. Where, wh- wh- how does this change us, or how do we need to think differently about how we experience things in order to help ourselves be receptive to this concept? First of all, I think we have to eliminate the concept of the secular and the sacred. Uh, and, and that doesn't mean that, you know, Justin Bieber becomes all of a sudden a sacred. But my point is, and it goes back to this non-duality or this holistic view of life as opposed to a, a, a dualist view where you have secular, sacred, there's a line of demarcation and they never cross. In God's kingdom, it's all sacred. It's all sacred. And that means when you're peeling onions or you're running the vacuum cleaner or you're washing your car or you're uh, yelling at your kid, whatever, God is present in that. And we need to be receptive and open to God's presence in those events. 
He's everywhere, omnipresent. No task is too ordinary or, mu- or mundane for invoking God's presence. And that, you know, again, can be taken to extreme. God, you know, God help me tie my shoelaces. Uh, but God help me in, in the everyday activities of life. It doesn't have to be a momentous thing. I, obviously, I asked for God's help doing this this morning, but we should ask for God's help every day. Even if it's a day when we don't have anything particular planned, we want God to be there with us. A couple of quotes from Zen, and I, I enjoy reading about Eastern philosophy and Zen in particular. Uh, and, 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 and some of this non-duality really comes from, you know, I think the Eastern, true Eastern, non-Christian philosophies have a good take on this, that, you know, in the darkness and the light are the same. Everything is whole. It's not du- dualistic. A saying in Zen, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. So there's not anything all that special about it, but it's how you respond. Uh, another one was the, a Zen master to a novice monk. The novice monk, and this is a little cut off, but he he comes up and They have their rice bowl or whatever. He comes up to Joshu and says, how do I achieve enlightenment? And Joshu says, well, did you eat your rice? Did you eat your breakfast? Yes. He says, go wash your bowl. So it's not, you know, it's like the guy climbing up the mountaintop and expecting some brilliant answer. And the guy says, you know, kind of just keep doing what you're doing. But it's, it's how we think about things. So, getting to the practices. How, how do we do this? And, and, and uh, Hudson has some suggestions. The first is this notion of metanoia, this turning, this, this, this turning ourselves in a Christ, Christward direction. Um, and, and one way to think about it is, is, you know, he's talking metaphorically, obviously, about turning, but Physically, we don't turn physically, but when you think about it, it, it points up that we live our lives facing in the wrong direction a lot of times. We live our lives facing away from where we should be facing, and that's Christ. And so I think that's a very powerful image to keep in mind, is that we turn toward Christ. We're not looking in the direction that we're used to looking because there's nothing to be found there. We need to turn toward Christ. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is, this is the notion, and it's, it's, it's radical. Um, it's radical if we really believe it and try to live it out, because it really requires that we completely shift our, 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 our frame of perception about everything. Um, he talks about little affirmations of God's presence. And this, this is, these are just devices, they, but they're useful devices. And they, they're, not, they're not trite, but, but remind yourself. Remind yourself through the day. Um, one of the things that, that I've taken to doing is in the morning when you, you know, you're just facing a horrible day or you feel you don't, you just, just remind yourself that, that I am God's beloved. Um, and that kind of has a way of kind of turning on the lights. Um, whatever works for you. 
Um, and there's, that's the other thing about this, is that there's no right or wrong. There's some, there's some suggestions. There's some things that have worked for many others for many, 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 many millennia. So those are probably good places to start, but there's no right way or wrong way to go about that. And, and the point, and I think Nancy and Don made this point last week, uh, is, is the mindfulness and the intentionality of doing what you're doing. Not just going through life, you know, kind of putting one foot in front of the other. Although we do that, and we will continue to do that. And despite what you may feel like you took away from a particularly inspiring sermon that Dave does occasionally, uh, <laughs> or whatever, a, a, you know, a particularly uh, high point of, of spiritual experience where you feel like, wow, I'm just, I'm electrified. And then, you know, 12 hours later, you're back to the same old, same old. That's where these little affirmations come in. And, and, and you, have to, you have to acknowledge that, and you have to give yourself permission to fail. And you will fail. And it's just like anything else, a diet or exercise or anything else that you're trying to do to change the way you, you do things. It's going to take time. You're going to fall off the wagon, but you've got to get back on. The, um, these are just some, I, 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 call, I call them mnemonic devices. I'm not sure they're really mnemonic devices, but mnemonic is just something to help your memory or help you remember something, like how to spell mnemonic. Uh, one of the things that, um, that I do is make the sign of the cross. And um, I don't do it uh, at any particular moment, necessarily, but I find myself during the day sometimes just making the sign of the cross. Um, and it, 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 it puts me in mind of, of being open to God's presence. And I, I've, been, I've been impressed that, um, you know, when Dave does the benediction, and he can probably speak to this, uh, he gives us the blessing, making the sign of the cross in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I notice there's a lot of people in the congregation now that, that are making the sign of the cross. Do you, do you notice that, Dave? And, you know, again, growing up in the Lutheran church, we were this close to Catholics, but we were miles from being Catholic. And the last thing you wanted to be was accused of being a Catholic. So, you know, I think making the sign of the cross was Catholic, you know. But I find it, I find it, it, you know, it has a kinesthetic body thing to it where you, you feel it in your body. Um, sincerely offering God's blessing to others. Um, you know, we so often, I think, mechanically do some of these things. God bless you. You know, have a safe trip. Um, you know, have a great day. All of those things. But I think if we mindfully invoke God's presence at those times, um, those can be very powerful moments, both for the giver and the receiver. Um, there is absolutely no reason why we cannot, at any time, under any circumstance, invoke God's grace and power on another person. And doing that sincerely, I believe, is, is powerful. 
but you have to do it sincerely. It can't just be a throwaway. And here again, I think going to the Eastern traditions and, and actually going back to the early Christian traditions, this was, this was part of life. I mean, every activity was God be with you, God go with you. I mean, they were living in dangerous times, for one thing, and, you know, there was no guarantee when somebody left that you might ever see them again, you know. We don't have that concern so much, but it was a notion of invoking God in every activity. In fact, you know, the word goodbye, God be with ye, you know, and there's lots of those archaic um, threads running through our language, through our culture, and I think, you know, we just have to, we just have to renew some of that. Icons, home altars, um, little reminders around the house, whatever works for you, again, again, and I don't, I don't think it's, it, we're not talking about turning your home into, into a sanctuary, but what, whatever works, your car, your, your home, your, your, your places that you spend your time, your office, your workplace, and then the spiritual di- disciplines, and I'm not here to talk about those in any great detail, but particularly things like contemplative prayer and meditation, making time and space for God to enter our lives. Solitude. We gotta get away from our devices. We gotta get away from TV and radio and media and the constant barrage of external uh, distraction, frankly. Um, and, and again, give ourselves time and space for experiencing God. Um, one of the things that's cut off on the bottom here is, again, I, 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 I learned this from Father Richard Rohr, and I'll talk a little bit at the end about Richard Rohr. Uh, Richard Rohr, uh, to me, has been a, a real spiritual guide. He is a Franciscan priest, uh, and he's now in New Mexico. He was in Cincinnati for many years, but he runs the uh, Center for Action and Contemplation in uh, Santa Fe, I believe, New Mexico. Um, he, uh, he, he, he's a phenomenal writer. He's a phenomenal speaker. Uh, anything that you can pick up by Richard Rohr, um, I think, would be, uh, be a blessing. He, he's very involved in talking about the non-dual the, the, the holistic view of the world as opposed to our Western duality. duality. But one of the things that I, I, I heard him talk about was the, the breath prayer, which is basically on the inspiration, and, and, and it says it, Yah, and then the expiration is way, Yahweh. And he says, so our, you know, our first inspiration when we're born is a prayer, and our last breath when we die is also a prayer. Um, The next uh, technique or device, if you will, that um, Trevor Howard talks about is um, gratitude. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Whoops, I skipped one. Gratitude. Simple concept, being thankful. Again, it's the important point here is being thankful for in all circumstances, not just when things are going our way. We've had our 
prayers for, you know, asking God to do things for us answered. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is, um, this is not easy to do. Um, but, it, but it involves being thankful to God no matter what. And uh, it's, it's what we're, we're asked to do. Um, again, this is more in the way of resources, but if you get a chance to check out gratefulness.org, um, Brother David Steindl Rost, he's a Benedictine monk. You guys are going to think I'm just really a Catholic in disguise here, but I'm really not. Um, David Steindl Rost, I think he's still alive, but he is up there. He's got to be in his 90s. Um, picture's a little cut off. But he has, a, he has a website, and he has a couple of videos on there, and it's, it's, it's really, I, I commend it um, to you. And I'm not going to dwell too much further on gratefulness. I think you get it, or gratitude. Uh, and then the other thing that, that, that um, uh, Hudson talks about is just welcoming God into all we do. And I think that's what we've been talking about. Do everything God, to, to do everything for God is to put your whole heart into whatever you are doing at the present moment. Imagine the difference such wholehearted living would make to the quality and meaningfulness of our daily labor. And again, to go back to sort of the Eastern way of looking at, all we have is the present. Um, we, we dwell on the past, we worry and think about and anticipate the future, and sometimes in doing that, we miss the present. And that's, that's why they call it the present, because it's a gift. <laughs> um, so I think that's another thing to keep in mind, is that we need to live in the present moment, and again, invite God into that present moment. <clears throat> so, I said that there wasn't a lot of opportunity. You guys did a great job on the, on the one table exercise I had. This is probably something we could talk about for a couple minutes, but my intention was really to have this um, something that you take with you uh, beyond these doors. Forget the proofs, obviously. Um, they're not satisfactory. Um, the, the, you know, we, we are not about trying to empirically or legalistically prove, even theologically, prove the existence of God. I think it's a waste of time. I think it's a waste of energy. And frankly, I think it's not what God wants us to be doing. Um, I think more importantly is uh, if you have practices that work for you, keep, keep doing them. If you don't have spiritual disciplines that you have um, engaged in and on any regular basis, start. Um, the one thing that I think we can do as uh, fellow seekers and brothers and sisters is to encourage one another and to um, share with one another things that have worked for us or that we've found particularly helpful or meaningful. Um, small groups, this is the perfect kind of a discussion to have in a small group uh, where you have been able to find God and experience God and kinds of things, th things that you've been reading or things that you've been listening to. And, and, and again, I, I love books. I think, I think Nancy mentioned it, and I brought a few with me today. Th this is not something you're going to get from a book, um, but, but there are lots of 
great writings out there of people who have thought about these issues and have, have uh, you know, discussed uh, these practices and have followed these practices. Um, the Barnabas and Timothy mentoring relationship is, is what we're talking about here, where you find another person uh, who can act as a mentor to you and then ideally find somebody that you can be a mentor to um, in, these, in this spiritual development process. Spiritual guidance is, you know, actually seeking the assistance of somebody who you feel can lead you um, in some of these some of these paths. Again, expect frequent lapses and forgettings, but don't stop practicing. Um, Those are really my prepared remarks for for this morning. Um, We do have a couple minutes, and uh, I'd just be happy to try to answer any questions or facilitate any discussion around any of these points that anybody uh, might want to raise. Jim? And I don't know what happened to our microphone. duality of secular and spiritual mm-hmm. among us, those of us who have accepted Christ because we have the indwelling of the spirit and even when we sin we are still creatures we are still a part of God 